Question 28 of Summa Theologica Prima Secundae, Treatise on the Passions. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Prima Secundae, Treatise on the Passions, by St. Thomas Aquinas translated by the fathers of the english dominican province question 28 of the effects of love in six articles we now have to consider the effects of love under which head there are six points of inquiry first whether union is an effect of love second whether mutual indwelling is an effect of love third whether ecstasy is an effect of love fourth whether zeal is an effect of love fifth whether love is a passion that is hurtful to the lover sixth whether love is cause of all that the lover does first article whether union is an effect of love Objection 1. It would seem that union is not an effect of love. For absence is incompatible with union. But love is compatible with absence. For the Apostle says in Galatians 4.18, Be zealous for that which is good in a good thing always. Speaking of himself, according to a gloss, And not only when I am present with you. Therefore, Union is not an effect of love. Objection 2. Further, every union is either according to essence, thus form is united to matter, accident to subject, and a part to the whole, or to another part in order to make up the whole. Or according to likeness, in genus, species, or accident, but love does not cause union of essence, else love could not be between things essentially distinct. On the other hand, love does not cause union of likeness, but rather is caused by it, as stated above, question 27, article 3. Therefore, union is not an effect of love. Objection 3. Further, the sense in act is the sensible in act, and the intellect in act is the thing actually understood. But the lover in act is not the beloved in act. Therefore, union is the effect of knowledge rather than of love. On the contrary, Dionysius says in On the Divine Names 4 that every love is a unitive love. I answer that. The union of lover and beloved is twofold. The first is real union, for instance, when the beloved is present with the lover. The second is union of affection, and this union must be considered in relation to the preceding apprehension, since movement of the appetite follows apprehension. Now love being twofold, notably, love of concupiscence and love of friendship, 
each of these arises from a kind of apprehension of the oneness of the thing loved with the lover for when we love a thing by desiring it we apprehend it as belonging to our well-being in like manner when a man loves another with the love of friendship he wills good to him just as he wills good to himself wherefore he apprehends him as his other self in so far to wit as he wills good to him as to himself hence a friend is called a man's other self in ethics nine four and augustine says in confessions four six well did one say to his friend thou half of my soul the first of these unions is caused effectively by love because love moves man to desire and seek the presence of the beloved as of something suitable and belonging to him the second union is caused formally by love because love itself is this union or bond in this sense augustine says in on the trinity eight ten that love is a vital principle uniting or seeking to unite two together the lover to wit and the beloved for in describing it as uniting he refers to the union of affection without which there is no love and in saying that it seeks to unite he refers to real union reply to objection one this argument is true of real union that is necessary to pleasure as being its cause desire implies the real absence of the beloved but love remains whether the beloved be absent or present reply to objection to union has a threefold relation to love there is union which causes love and this is substantial union as regards the love with which one loves oneself while as regards the love wherewith one loves other things it is the union of likeness as stated above in question twenty seven article three there is also a union which is essentially love itself this union is according to a bond of affection and is likened to substantial union inasmuch as the lover stands to the object of his love as to himself if it be love of friendship as to something belonging to himself if it be love of concupiscence again there is a union which is the effect of love this is real union which the lover seeks with the object of his love moreover this union is in keeping with the demands of love for as the philosopher relates in politics two one aristophanes stated that lovers would wish to be united both into one but since this would result in either one or both being destroyed they seek a suitable and becoming union to live together speak together and be united together in other like things reply to objection three knowledge is perfected by the thing known being united through its likeness to the knower 
but the effect of love is that the thing itself which is loved is in a way united to the lover as stated above consequently the union caused by love is closer than that which is caused by knowledge second article whether mutual indwelling is an effect of love objection one it would seem that love does not cause mutual indwelling so that the lover be in the beloved and vice versa for that which is in another is contained in it but the same cannot be container and contents therefore love cannot cause mutual indwelling so that the lover be in the beloved and vice versa objection to further nothing can penetrate within a whole except by means of a division of the whole but it is the function of the reason not of the appetite where love resides to divide things that are really united therefore mutual indwelling is not an effect of love objection three further if love involves the lover being in the beloved and vice versa it follows that the beloved is united to the lover in the same way as the lover is united to the beloved but the union itself is love as stated above in article one therefore it follows that the lover is always loved by the object of his love which is evidently false therefore mutual indwelling is not an effect of love on the contrary it is written in first john four sixteen he that abideth in charity abideth in god and god in him now charity is the love of god therefore for the same reason every love makes the beloved to be in the lover and vice versa i answer that this effect of mutual indwelling may be understood as referring both to the apprehensive and to the appetitive power because as to the apprehensive power the beloved is said to be in the lover inasmuch as the beloved abides in the apprehension of the lover according to philippians one seven for that i have you in my heart while the lover is said to be in the beloved according to apprehension inasmuch as the lover is not satisfied with a superficial apprehension of the beloved but strives to gain an intimate knowledge of everything pertaining to the beloved so as to penetrate into his very soul thus it is written concerning the holy ghost who is god's love that he searches all things yea the deep things of god first corinthians two ten as the appetitive power the object loved is said to be in the lover inasmuch as it is in his affections by a kind of complacency causing him either to take pleasure in it or in its good when present or in the absence of the object loved by his longing to tend towards it with the love of concupiscence or towards the good that he wills to the beloved with the love of friendship not indeed from any extrinsic cause 
as when we desire one thing on account of another, or wish good to another on account of something else. But because the complacency in the beloved is rooted in the lover's heart. For this reason, we speak of love as being intimate, and of the bowels of charity. On the other hand, the lover is in the beloved by the love of concupiscence, and by the love of friendship, but not in the same way. For the love of concupiscence is not satisfied with any external or superficial possession or enjoyment of the beloved, but seeks to possess the beloved perfectly, by penetrating into his heart, as it were. Whereas, in the love of friendship, the lover is in the beloved, inasmuch as he reckons what is good or evil to his friend as being so to himself, and his friend's will as his own, so that it seems as though he felt the good or suffered the evil in the person of his friend. Hence it is proper to friends to desire the same things, and to grieve and rejoice at the same, as the philosopher says in Ethics 9.3 and Rhetoric 2.4. Consequently, in so far as he reckons what affects his friend as affecting himself, the lover seems to be in the beloved as though he were become one with him. But in so far as, on the other hand, he wills and acts for his friend's sake as for his own sake, looking on his friend as identified with himself, thus the beloved is in the lover. In yet a third way, mutual indwelling and the love of friendship can be understood in regard to reciprocal love, inasmuch as friends return love for love, and both desire and do good things for one another. Reply to Objection 1. The beloved is contained in the lover by being impressed on his heart and thus becoming the object of his complacency. On the other hand, the lover is contained in the beloved, inasmuch as the lover penetrates, so to speak, into the beloved. For nothing hinders a thing from being both container and contents in different ways, just as a genus is contained in its species and vice versa. Reply to Objection 2. The apprehension of the reason precedes the movement of love. Consequently, just as the reason divides, so does the movement of love penetrate into the beloved, as was explained above. Reply to Objection 3. This argument is true of the third kind of mutual indwelling, which is not to be found in every kind of love. Third article, Whether Ecstasy is an Effect of Love. Objection 1. It would seem that ecstasy is not an effect of love. For ecstasy seems to imply loss of reason. But love does not always result in loss of reason, for lovers are masters of themselves at times. Therefore, love does not cause ecstasy. Objection 2. Further, the lover desires the beloved to be united to him. Therefore, 
he draws the beloved to himself rather than betakes himself into the beloved going forth out from himself as it were objection three further love unites the beloved to the lover as stated above in article one if therefore the lover goes out from himself in order to betake himself into the beloved it follows that the lover always loves the beloved more than himself which is evidently false therefore ecstasy is not an effect of love on the contrary dionysius says in on the divine names for that the divine love produces ecstasy and that god himself suffered ecstasy through love since therefore according to the same author on the divine names for every love is a participated likeness of the divine love it seems that every love causes ecstasy i answer that to suffer ecstasy means to be placed outside oneself this happens as to the apprehensive power and as to the appetitive power as to the apprehensive power a man is said to be placed outside himself when he is placed outside the knowledge proper to him this may be due to his being raised to a higher knowledge thus a man is said to suffer ecstasy inasmuch as he is placed outside the connatural apprehension of his sense and reason when he is raised up so as to comprehend things that surpass sense and reason or it may be due to his being cast down into a state of debasement thus a man may be said to suffer ecstasy when he is overcome by violent passion or madness as to the appetitive power man is said to suffer ecstasy when that power born towards something else so that it goes forth out from himself as it were the first of these ecstasies is caused by love dispositively in so far namely as love makes the lover dwell on the beloved as stated above in article two and to dwell intently on one thing draws the mind from other things the second ecstasy is caused by love directly by the love of friendship simply by love of concupiscence not simply but in a restricted sense because in love of concupiscence the love is carried out of himself in a certain sense in so far namely as not being satisfied with enjoying the good that he has he seeks to enjoy something outside himself but since he seeks to have this extrinsic good for himself he does not go out from himself simply and this movement remains finally within him on the other hand in the love of friendship a man's affection goes out from itself simply because he wishes and does good to his friend by caring and providing for him for his sake reply to objection one this argument is true of the first kind of ecstasy reply to objection two this argument applies to the love of concupiscence which as stated above does not cause ecstasy simply 
Reply to Objection 3. He who loves goes out from himself insofar as he wills the good of his friend and works for it. Yet he does not will the good of his friend more than his own good, and so it does not follow that he loves another more than himself. Fourth article. Whether zeal is an effect of love. Objection 1. It would seem that zeal is not an effect of love. For zeal is a beginning of contention, wherefore it is written in 1 Corinthians 3.3, 3, Whereas there is among you zeal and contention, etc. Note, the Dewey translation translates zeal as envying. But contention is incompatible with love, therefore zeal is not an effect of love. Objection 2. Further, the object of love is the good, which communicates itself to others. But zeal is opposed to communication, since it seems an effect of zeal that a man refuses to share the object of his love with another. Thus husbands are said to be jealous of zelare, their wives, because they will not share them with others. Therefore, zeal is not an effect of love. Objection 3. Further, there is no zeal without hatred, as neither is there without love. For it is written in Psalm 72.3, I had a zeal on occasion of the wicked. Therefore, it should not be set down as an effect of love any more than of hatred. On the contrary, Dionysius says in On the Divine Names 4, God is said to be a zealot on account of his great love for all things. I answer that, zeal, whatever way we take it, arises from the intensity of love. For it is evident that the more intensely a power tends to anything, the more vigorously it withstands opposition or resistance. Since therefore love is a movement towards the object love, as Augustine says in his 83 Questions, question 35, an intense love seeks to remove everything that opposes it. But this happens in different ways according to love of concupiscence and love of friendship. For in love of concupiscence, he who desires something intensely is moved against all that hinders his gaining or quietly enjoying the object of his love. It is thus that husbands are said to be jealous of their wives, lest association with others prove a hindrance to their exclusive individual rights. In like manner, those who seek to excel are moved against those who seem to excel as though these were a hindrance to their excelling. And this is the zeal of envy, of which it is written in Psalm 36.1, be not emulous of evildoers, nor envy, zelaveris, them that work iniquity. On the other hand, love of friendship seeks the friend's good. Wherefore, when it is intense, it causes a man to be moved against everything that opposes the friend's good. 
in this respect, a man is said to be zealous on behalf of his friend when he makes a point of repelling whatever may be said or done against the friend's good. In this way, too, a man is said to be zealous on God's behalf when he endeavors, to the best of his means, to repel whatever is contrary to the honor or will of God, according to Third Kings 19.14. With zeal I have been zealous for the Lord of hosts. Again, on the words of John 2.17, The zeal of thy house hath eaten me up. A gloss says that a man is eaten up with a good zeal who strives to remedy whatever evil he perceives, and if he cannot, bears with it and laments it. Reply to Objection 1. The Apostle is speaking in this passage of the zeal of envy, which is indeed the cause of contention not against the object of love, but for it, and against that which is opposed to it. Reply to Objection 2. Good is loved inasmuch as it can be communicated to the lover. Consequently, whatever hinders the perfection of this communication becomes hateful. Thus zeal arises from love of good. But through defect of goodness, it happens that certain small goods cannot, in their entirety, be possessed by many at the same time and from the love of such things arises the zeal of envy. But it does not arise, properly speaking, in the case of those things which, in their entirety, can be possessed by many. For no one envies another the knowledge of truth which can be known entirely by many, except, perhaps, one may envy another his superiority in the knowledge of it. Reply to Objection 3. The very fact that a man hates whatever is opposed to the object of his love is the effect of love. Hence zeal is set down as an effect of love rather than of hatred. Fifth article. Whether love is a passion that wounds the lover. Objection 1. It would seem that love wounds the lover for languor denotes a hurt in the one that languishes. But love causes languor, for it is written, in the Canticle of Canticles 2.5, Stay me up with flowers, compass me about with apples, because I languish with love. Therefore love is a wounding passion. Objection 2. Further, Melting is a kind of dissolution. But love melts that in which it is, for it is written in the Canticle of Canticles 5.6, My soul melted when my beloved spoke. Therefore, love is a dissolvent. Therefore, it is a corruptive and wounding passion. Objection 3. Further, fervor denotes a certain excess of heat which excess has a corruptive effect. But love causes fervor. For Dionysius, in On the Heavenly Hierarchy 7, in reckoning the properties belonging to the seraphim's love, includes hot 
and piercing and most fervent moreover it is said of love in canticle of canticles eight six that its lamps are fire and flames therefore love is a wounding and corruptive passion on the contrary dionysius says in on the divine names for that everything loves itself with a love that holds it together that is that preserves it therefore love is not a wounding passion but rather one that preserves and perfects i answer that as stated above in question twenty six articles one and two as well question twenty seven article one love denotes a certain adapting of the appetitive power to some good now nothing is hurt by being adapted to that which is suitable to it rather if possible it is perfected and bettered but if a thing be adapted to that which is not suitable to it it is hurt and made worse thereby consequently love of a suitable good perfects and betters the lover but love of a good which is unsuitable to the lover wounds and worsens him wherefore man is perfected and bettered chiefly by the love of god but is wounded and worsened by the love of sin according to hosea nine ten they became abominable as those things which they loved and let this be understood as applying to love in respect of its formal element that is in regard to the appetite but in respect of the material element in the passion of love that is a certain bodily change it happens that love is hurtful by reason of this change being excessive just as it happens in the senses and in every act of a power of the soul that is exercised through the change of some bodily organ in reply to the objections it is to be observed that four proximate effects may be ascribed to love notably melting enjoyment languor and fervor of these the first is melting which is opposed to freezing for things that are frozen are closely bound together so as to be hard to pierce but it belongs to love that the appetite is fitted to receive the good which is loved inasmuch as the object loved is in the lover as stated above article two consequently the freezing or hardening of the heart is a disposition incompatible with love while melting denotes a softening of the heart whereby the heart shows itself to be ready for the entrance of the beloved if then the beloved is present and possessed pleasure or enjoyment ensues but if the beloved be absent two passions arise notably sadness at its absence which is denoted by languor hence cicero in the questions debated at tusculum three eleven applies the term ailment chiefly to sadness and an intense desire to possess the beloved which is signified by fervor and these are the effects of love considered formally 
according to the relation of the appetitive power to its object. But in the passion of love, other effects ensue, proportionate to the above in respect of a change in the organ. Sixth article. Whether love is cause of all that the lover does. Objection 1. It would seem that the lover does not do everything from love. For love is a passion, as stated above, question 26, article 2. But man does not do everything from passion, but some things he does from choice, and some things from ignorance, as stated in Ethics 5.8. Therefore, not everything that a man does is done from love. Objection 2. Further, the appetite is a principle of movement and action in all animals, as stated in On the Soul 3.10. If, therefore, whatever a man does is done from love, the other passions of the appetitive faculty are superfluous. Objection 3. Further, nothing is produced at one and the same time by contrary causes. But some things are done from hatred. Therefore, all things are not done from love. On the contrary, Dionysius says in On the Divine Names 4 that all things, whatever they do, they do for the love of good. I answer that every agent acts for an end, as stated above in Question 1, Article 2. Now the end is the good desired and loved by each one. Wherefore, it is evident that every agent, whatever it be, does every action from love of some kind. Reply to Objection 1. This objection takes love as a passion existing in the sensitive appetite. But here we are speaking of love in a general sense, inasmuch as it includes intellectual, rational, animal, and natural love. For it is in this sense that Dionysius speaks of love in chapter 4 of On the Divine Names. Reply to Objection 2. As stated above, in Article 5, as well in Question 27, Article 4, desire, sadness, and pleasure, and consequently all the other passions of the soul, result from love. Wherefore, every act that proceeds from any passion proceeds also from love as from a first cause. And so the other passions, which are proximate causes, are not superfluous. Reply to Objection 3. Hatred also is a result of love, as we shall state further on. Question 29, Article 2. End of Question 28 Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.